Chapter Twenty Eight of Brigands of the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Brigands of the Moon by Ray Cummings. Chapter Twenty Eight. The broken, shaggy ramparts of the giant crater rose above us. We toiled upward out of the foothills, clinging now to the crags and pitted terraces of the main ascent. An hour had passed since we turned from the borders of Mar Imbrium. Or was it two hours? I could not tell. I only know that we ran with desperate, frantic haste. Anita would not admit that she was tired. She was more skillful than I in this leaping over the broken rock masses, yet I felt that her slight strength must give out. It seemed miles up the undulating slopes of the foothills, with the black and white ramparts of the crater close before us and then the main ascent. There were places where, like smooth black frozen ice, the walls rose sheer. We avoided them, toiling aside, plunging into gullies, crossing pits, where sometimes, perforce, we went downwards and then up again, or sometimes we stood, hot and breathless, upon ledges, recovering our strength, selecting the best route upward. In tumbled mass of rock, honeycombed everywhere with caves and passages leading into impenetrable darkness. There were pits into which we might so easily have fallen, ravines to span, sometimes with a leap, sometimes by a long and arduous detour. Endless climb. We came to the ledge with the plains of the Mar Imbrium stretching out beneath us. We might have been upon this main ascent for an hour. The plains were far down, the broken surface down there smoothed now by the perspective of height. And yet still above us, the brooding circular wall went up into the sky, ten thousand feet above us. You're tired, Anita. We'd better stay here. No, if we could only get to the top. The ship may land on the other side. They would see us. There was as yet no sign of the brigand ship. With every stop for rest, we searched the starry vault. The earth hung over us, flattened beyond the full. The stars blazed to mingle with the earthlight and illuminate these massive crags of the Archimedes' walls, but no speck appeared to tell us that the ship was up there. We were on the curving side of the Archimedes' wall, which fronted the Mar Imbrium to the north. The plains lay like a great frozen sea, congealed ripples shining in the light of the earth, with dark patches to mark the hollows. Somewhere down there, Six or eight thousand feet below us now, Miko's encampment lay concealed. We searched for lights of it, but could see none. Had Miko rejoined his party, left his camp, and come here like ourselves to climb Archimedes? Or was our assumption wholly wrong? Perhaps the brigand ship would not land near here at all. Sweeping around the Mar Imbrium, the plains were less smooth. The little crater which concealed the Grantline camp was off in the crater-scarred region beyond which the distant Apennines raised their terraced walls. There was nothing to mark it from here. Greg, do you see anything up there? She added, There seems to be a blur. Her sight, sharper than mine, had picked it out. The descending brigand ship. A faintest tiny blur against the stars. A few of them occulted, as though an invisible shadow were upon them a growing shadow, materializing into a blur, a blob, a shape faintly defined, then sharper until we were sure of what we saw. It was the brigand ship, 
It was dropping slowly, silently down. We crouched on the little ledge. A cave mouth was behind us. A gully was beside us. A break in the ledge. And at our feet the sheer wall dropped. We had extinguished our lights. We crouched, silently gazing up into the stars. The ship, when we first distinguished it, was centered over Archimedes. We thought for a while that it might descend into the crater, but it did not. It came sailing forward. I whispered into the audiophone. It's coming over the crater. Her hand pressed my arm in answer. I recalled that when, from the planetara, Miko had forced Snap to signal this brigand band on Mars, Miko's only information as to the whereabouts of the Grantline camp was that it lay between Archimedes and the Apennines. The brigands now were following that information. A tense interval passed. We could see the ship plainly above us now, a gray-black shape among the stars up beyond the shaggy towering crater rim. The vessel came upon a level keel, hull down, slowly circling, looking for Miko's signal, no doubt, or for possible lights from Grantline's camp. They might also be picking a landing place. We saw it soon as a cylindrical, cigar-like shape, rather smaller than the planetara, but similar of design. It bore lights now. The ports of its hull were tiny rows of illumination, and the glow of light under its rounding upper dome was faintly visible. A bandit ship, no doubt of that. Its identification keelplate was empty of official passcode lights. These brigands had not attempted to secure official sailing lights when leaving Ferrok Shan. It was unmistakably an outlaw ship. And here upon the deserted moon, there was no need for secrecy. Its lights were openly displayed, that Miko might see it and join it. It went slowly past us, only a few thousand feet higher than our level. We could see the whole outline of its pointed cylinder hull, with the rounded dome on top and under the dome was its open deck with a little cabin superstructure in the center. I thought for a moment that by some unfortunate chance it might land quite near us, but it went past, and then I saw that it was heading for a level plateau-like surface a few miles further on. It dropped, cautiously floating down. There was still no sign of Miko, but I realized that haste was necessary. We must be the first to join the brigand ship. I lifted Anita to her feet. I don't think we should signal from here. No, Miko might see it. We could not tell where he was. Down on the plains, perhaps, or up here, somewhere in these miles of towering rocks. Are you ready, Anita? Yes, Greg. I stared through the visors at her white, solemn face. Yes, I'm ready, she repeated. Her hand pressure seemed to me suddenly like a farewell. We were plunging rashly into what was destined to mean our death. Was this a farewell? An instinct told me not to do this thing. Why, in a few hours I could have Anita back to the comparative safety of the Grantline camp. The exit ports would doubtless be repaired by now. I could get her inside. She had bounded away from me leaped down some thirty feet into the broken gully to cross it, and then up on the other side. I stood for an instant watching her fantastic shape, with the great rounded goggled trunked helmet, and the lump on her shoulders which held the little Arends motors. Then I hurried after her. It did not take us long. 
two or three miles of circling along the giant wall, the ship lay only a few hundred feet above our level. We stood at last on a butte-like pinnacle. The lights of the ship were close over us, and there were moving lights up there, tiny moving spots on the adjacent rocks. The brigands had come out, prowling about to investigate their location. No signal yet from Miko, but it might come at any moment. I'll flash now, I whispered. Yes. The brigands had probably not seen us. I took the lamp from my helmet. My hand was trembling. Suppose my signal were answered by a shot, a flash from some giant projector mounted on the ship. Anita crouched behind a rock as she had promised. I stood with my torch and flung its switch. My puny light beam shot up. I waved it, touched the ship with its faint glowing circle of illumination. They saw me. There was a sudden movement among the lights up there. I semaphored. I am from Miko. Do not fire. I used open universal code, in Martian first, and then in English. There was no answer, but no attack. I tried again. This is Helgen, one of the Planetara. George Prince's sister is with me. There has been disaster to Miko. A small light beam came down from the brink of the overhead cliff beside the ship. Continue. I went steadily on. Disaster. The Planetara is wrecked. All killed but me and Prince's sister. We want to join you. I flashed off my light. The answer came. Where is the Grantline camp? Near here, the Mar Imbrium. As though to answer my lie, from down on the earthlit plains, some ten miles or so from the crater base, a tiny signal light shot up. Anita saw it and gripped me. There is Miko's light. It's spelled in Martian. Come down. Land. Mar Imbrium. Miko had seen the signaling up here and had joined it. He repeated, Land. Mar Imbrium. I flashed a protest up to the ship. Beware, that is Grantline. Trickery. From the ship the summons came. Come up. We had won this first encounter. Miko must have realized his disadvantage. His distant light went out. Come, Anita. There was no retreat now, but again I seemed to feel in the pressure of her hand that vague farewell. Her voice whispered, We must do our best, act our best to be convincing. In the white glow of a search beam we climbed the crags, reached the broad upper ledge. Helmeted figures rushed at us, searched us for weapons, seized our helmet lights. The evil face of a giant Martian peered at me through the visors. Two other monstrous towering figures seized Anita. We were shoved toward the port locks at the base of the ship's hull. Above the hull bulge I could see the grids of projectors mounted on the dome side and the figures of men standing on the deck, peering down at us. We went through the admission locks into a hull corridor, up an inclined passage, and reached the lighted deck. The Martian brigands crowded around us. End of chapter 28